You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Micah chapter 5. This is on page 926 of your pew Bible if you need help getting there. No shame if you cannot find it immediately. It's one of the little tiny books in the back. 926 of your Old Testament. Micah chapter 5. Verses 2 through 5a, you'll see there, there's a little break uh, at the first sentence there, verse 5. So this is Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. This morning we are kicking off our Advent season, an Advent series for 2021, and I've titled this year, God Rest Ye Merry, subtitled Tidings of True Comfort and Eternal Joy in Jesus. We're going to sing that hymn. Maybe you recognize that. That is not anything unique to Darren. That is a popular uh, Advent Christmas hymn we'll be singing later this morning. But it's a joy about It's a song about joy in Jesus. God rest ye merry gentlemen. And the chorus sings tidings of comfort and joy. Now, this is not a song about uh, merry gentlemen getting rest. If you look at your hymnal, it's God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. And it's kind of, it's archaic language for us, but it's, it's, a, it's a, a plea to gentlemen, gentlewomen, to people of God to rest merry, to, to rest happily, to have a joyful rest. God rest you happily, basically is what it is saying. God rest you gently. God rest you in Jesus. And so this we're going to, in our time together, look through four different, on Advent Sundays, four different tidings of comfort and joy, of peace, of love, of hope that are given to God's people. Advent, as we heard this morning, it's the Latin word for just coming, basically. That Advent is about the time of preparation. It's anticipation. There's something coming. And every child we know, if you have kids around your life right now, is well aware something's coming. You cannot go to a store without a kid finding something that they want for Christmas. It doesn't matter what it is. They, they are aware something is coming. Christmas is on its way. And this Advent season is an intentional time to, to kind of live into that hype, that anticipation. Something is coming. And for thousands of years, God's people were looking forward and longing for this Advent, for this coming of their Messiah. And we too now, 
live in a longing, in an expectation for when Christ will return. It's this time of anticipation, of longing, of expectation. And really, we all are longing for hope, for peace, for comfort, and for joy. And the reason why we are is that it's not unique to the human experience. You could boil down all of men's, and I use that as a general, all of mankind's pursuits to one of happiness. That really, no matter what pursuit, no matter what avenue an individual is running down, uh, they, they do it all in pursuit of their perceived happiness. What will bring them the most happiness? The distinction that we recognize at Christian, the Christian Advent season is that we don't just join the world in this longing for some hope. We don't just join the world in this longing for joy. We don't just join the world in longing and anticipation, but we specifically and distinctly recognize that that longing, that peace, that comfort, that joy, that happiness is found in one place, and it's found in Jesus Christ. That one place that hope, love, joy, and peace are found culminate in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. This isn't new to the history of God's people. We can read clear back in Genesis 3.15, right? The proto-euangelion, the first gospel. When the curse comes upon Eve and he says that the seed of the serpent will bruise the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman will crush, will bruise his head. He'll deliver a fatal blow. And from that time on, humanity, as it's brought in to God's unfolding plan, has been looking for the seed of the woman who's going to crush the enemy and who's going to at the same time receive a, a bruise in his heel. He's not going to walk away unwounded, but he will walk away victorious. There's this anticipation for a specific figure, the seed of the woman, a Messiah, an anointed one to show up, to come onto the scene and to right everything. But I don't want us to fly over that reality too quickly. The weightiness of that reality. The hope, this, this reality that the hope and comfort and joy of a Christian is tied up in a person. It's tied up in an individual. It's tied up in Jesus. The tidings of comfort and joy that all men seek are found in one individual. What this means is that your joy, your comfort, your peace is not found in any products. It's found in a person. No product, no device, no, no next accomplishment is going to bring you what you search for. You do not need any new product. You need a person. What we all need is not our preferences granted, but we need a person we don't need our political outcomes to go our certain way. We need a person. We don't need to champion progressivism. We need a champion person. So in this series, we're going to look at some of these tidings and these announcements about this person. His name is Jesus. Everything centers on him and looking at the true joy and the eternal comforts that he brings. This, I hope this doesn't come to, as a shock to you, but believe it or not, these next four weeks, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. <laughs> 
We're going to talk a lot about Jesus. I got one tom that I play. I got one drum. It's a tom drum. I got one, one drum that I beat, and it's Jesus. We need Jesus. Our joy, our happiness, our peace, our comfort, our contentment is not found in getting our way. It's in getting Jesus. He's no consolation prize. We talked about in Sunday school this morning. It isn't like you put away all these great things you could have and you just settle for Jesus. No, he is true comfort. He is eternal joy. So that brings us to our passage this morning, God's people. This dates back a long ways, but here's God's people in this announcement. We could look in a lot of places in the Old Testament for these announcements, these, these longings, these looking forwards to this Messiah, this coming rescuer, the coming king, this coming ruler. They're, they're longing for, for things to be made right. And this news from Micah has some interesting details to it. It lists off this city from which he'll be born and talks about the things here that the Messiah will accomplish and embody. So a little context on the book of Micah. This is written somewhere around 750 to 700 B.C. Okay, not like, I mean, I know if we say 750 or 700, you think, Written 1,300 years ago? No, more than that. <laughs> Written 2,700 years ago. Micah is prophesying here in Jerusalem. He is prophesying. He is one of the prophets that lives at a time of the kings Hezekiah, Jotham, Ahaz. Uh, in his ministry, the, the kingdom has split. There's the ten northern tribes of Israel and the two tribes down below. And, and Israel actually falls and goes into captivity uh, at this time that Micah is prophesying. And Judah almost falls as well. But Micah, like a good prophet of God, spins his voice calling for God's people to turn from their sin and to turn back to God. It's riddled throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament as well. That the voices speaking for God, what they are calling for is for sinners to turn from their sin, to repent, and to look to the Savior. And Micah is no exception. Uh, we go way back to 700. And we can talk about, you know, uh, the difficulties of, of, of a forward-looking Christianity. Christianity is historic. Christianity has historic roots that go back not to the founding of America, that don't go back to the founding of any nation that we know of today, that don't, don't even go back really just to Jerusalem at the time that Jesus walked the earth. They go way back to Adam and Eve and that first promise down through the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christianity is an ancient, historic, in real time religion. We ought not to be ashamed to go back to the truths that are given to us in this word. And Micah is one of these guys who's giving us these, these promises. If you take the time to read through the book of Micah, you'll hear many warnings and many woes. God's people have rebelled. They have turned from God. They are looking to idols. They are trying to serve themselves. It's interesting. They're in a very prosperous time. Very prosperous time considering what they're, the generation that they live in. Things are going quite well. They're well off. It's not famine. Things are just rolling along fine. And what happens is when things roll along fine, you begin to think you don't really need God. And this is where they have gone. They've, they've, they've turned to idols. And so Micah is coming and is warning them uh, to repent that, that 
that trouble is on its way. They're trusting in their temporary prosperity and the idol of self. And this will not stand before God. Judgment will always come. Justice has its day. Yet, Micah, as much as he does tell, call the people pronouncing woes, telling them to turn from sin, Micah also gives messages of hope. Believe it or not, the two things can come together. They can exist in a unity of a call to repent, a call to turn from your sin, a call to confess your sin as really sin and to turn from it. That can exist alongside of the message of hope that there is good news. It's almost a general consensus today that a voice cannot offer both rebuke and encouragement. Micah doesn't know that, thankfully. He gives both rebuke and encouragement. And we see that hope in a few places in the book of Micah, but specifically here this morning, there is a specific hope that is offered. A ruler is coming. A hero is coming. A savior is on his way, a leader, a king. There are some descriptions we've got in our text this morning. You've got out here in front of you. Micah describes a few things about this ruler. He's going to come from Bethlehem. And we know that we've been around church enough. We know the Christmas narrative of the census that is called at the time that forces Mary and Joseph to go back to David's birthplace so that the Savior, Jesus, is born in Bethlehem. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come from of old. At the end of verse 2, his coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's going to be a shepherd to his people. The end of verse 3, the rest of his brothers will return. He'll be a, he'll be a shepherd unto them. Verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. His rule will run to the ends of the earth. End of verse 4 there. They shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And lastly, he himself will be their peace. It isn't just that he brings peace. He himself is the peace. This is what I'm talking about, that the tidings of comfort and joy do not just come to us as something uh, that someone brings to us. It is the person that is brought to us. He himself is the peace. We don't need to spend a ton of time on each of these, but it's clear. We've talked. The rescuer is going to come from Bethlehem. It's not a place of notoriety. It's not a big famous metropolis like you'd think, oh, he's coming from this famous city. It's Bethlehem. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's this little rural place that he's going to be born at. He's not coming from notoriety. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come from of old, ancient of days. Now, this could mean one of three things. It could mean that either this prophecy, either Micah might know. He's going to come from of old. So he's saying this prophecy is going to go out for years. And eventually, from of old, this leader is going to be born. 700 years after this prophecy, he's going to be born. He might mean that. He could also mean that he's from ancient plans, like God in eternity past. He's worked out this plan. God in ancient days said this is what's going to happen. He could also mean that this king actually is from of old himself. This king might be the ancient of days. That he might be God incarnate. You know, and it could be all three. It could be all three. 
Jesus himself says that before Abraham was, I am. He is God eternal. In the third person, in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus exists before all things. He is the one through whom all things are made. He is the ancient of days. He'll be a shepherd to his people. Jesus is called the good shepherd. You can read in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I commend them to you. Jesus says of himself that he is the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. He's going to be a shepherd for his people. And Jesus takes that mantle upon himself. He is the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the salvation of his people. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Micah says that right there in verse 4. The goodness of this king has no boundaries. We discussed it in Sunday school this morning. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. His reign will not be over just Israel, but over a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And lastly, it's said of this Messiah, this king, that he himself will be his people's peace. He will be their shalom, their rest. Why is this important news? We flew through that passage there. Much more time could be spent. But why is this important news? Because Micah knows. Micah knows that this world is in turmoil and that we as fallen humanity, we're in turmoil as well. We need peace. We need peace. And catch the significance, though, of this peace. This peace is found, I've been saying, in a person. And that because it's in a personality, it is a peace that is found outside of yourself. It is a peace that is found outside of ourselves. This is a very humbling reality. Our self-help society wants so desperately for peace to be a condition that we somehow look inside to formulate and create for ourselves. Spending time with various practices, trying to look inward to find inner peace, to try to find some sort of self-satisfaction or self-affirmation, centering ourselves, meditations, practicing presence, whatever new age or spiritual spin that gets put on it, we as a people today are quite confident that peace is a state of being we can produce on our own. I see more vacation time. If I get more money in the bank, if uh, I could get rid of these certain individuals that they'd get out of my life, then I'd have peace. (laughs) We all have our different things that we lay out. This is how I'm going to achieve peace. And I know how to get it. And I can get it in myself. If I just get all my circumstances right and can get some time. I mean, with me, it's like a book and a cup of coffee. Then I can find peace. Thinking it's something we create in ourselves. But I think any honest inquiry into the success of that enterprise would cause us to abandon that thought. If you really look inside of yourself for any serious period of time, it is difficult to think that much peace lies within. We are a people in incredible turmoil. Why is that? I would argue that we find no subjective peace within ourselves because we have never found objective peace from outside of ourselves. Like the writer of Psalm 42 that Logan read for us this morning, we wrestle with turmoil within us Because we've forgotten the hope outside of us. The hope that is in God. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you a a turmoil within me? Hope in God. 
the writer of the psalm is talking about a hope, a peace, a comfort, a joy that he's not finding inside of himself. He's got to look outside. He's got to turn his eyes to somewhere bigger, somewhere higher than himself. Jesus is that objective peace with God. If you still have your Bibles out, uh, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians 2. If you've put your Bible away, I encourage you to get it back out. And to flip with me to Ephesians chapter 2, where we see this. Now, I know, I know this week is about hope. So I got off on my days because I ended up, I just kind of went with the Micah passage, which is a lot about peace, <laughs> which is not this week. It's a few weeks away. So please forgive me. We're talking about peace. But this objective peace, how is this one coming going to be our objective outside of our peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 2 is 1160 in your pew Bible. Paul says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is the, called the circumcision. We were not Jews. We were outside of the, the camp of the people of God called the, the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the state of mankind apart from God, apart from these covenants that are coming to through this Israel, through this promised Messiah, without hope, without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, hear the emphasis on his personhood. He himself, it isn't just that he brings us peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, Gentiles and Jews, makes one new man, so making peace between these camps and then also, and might reconcile, verse 16, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The main idea is that through the blood of Jesus, he has taken down the hostility, not only between these different camps of people, but he has removed the hostility, most importantly, between us and God. A real hostility that exists. Christ himself is our peace. We as sinners, both by nature and by choice, transgressing God's good will for us, running in rebellion away from him. Christ, through his cross, has come to earth. We celebrate on Christmas morning 
was incarnated, put on flesh, lived the righteous life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, so that everyone, this is as inclusive as it can get, everyone turning from their sins, looking to Jesus, would be forgiven and made righteous in his sight and be brought in as a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. Christ himself is our peace and our union with him. We have full fellowship with God as his beloved children. We have become fellow citizens and saints in God's household. Jesus himself becomes our peace with God. He himself will be your peace. When you have peace, true, accomplished, outside of yourself, peace with God, you have something of incredible value. Something so great that it cannot help but bleed over into every other area of your life. What we are searching for is this objective, real peace. Every human heart has a knowledge of God, according to Romans 1, whether they admit it or not, and are aware of a disunion between themselves and their creator. And this peace is remedied through Jesus Christ alone. And the peace that is accomplished there is so great that it does then bleed over into every area of your life. I think of it like, I don't know how everyone does their money. You, we all do different budgets and stuff, but you know, you, I have one big main account and it's split up into several different chunks. You know, I got my mortgage chunk. I've got my, uh, how, my car payment chunk of money. I got my grocery money, got my utility money. And I got all these different accounts laid out, right? I, I'm much better right now. But back in the day, back when I was much worse at it, uh, I would, and I had less bills actually. I don't know why I was worse at it. <laughs> But you'd get those, those accounts would get all messed up. Like I'd go on vacation. I'd have to borrow from this account and borrow from this account and try to, and I'd, be, I'd, I'd owe money to this account from this account and try to get all these things straightened out. And there was, you'd look at my books and see there's not a lot of peace here. But what, what was the one comfort I could find? Even though everything may be a mess here in my little budget in the life that I'm living on the ground, what was my one comfort? If I could go to the bank and I could do a balance inquiry and it had a positive balance, this is all good. This, is all, this, can be all, this can have all kinds of trouble. This can be all kind of messed up. But if, I've got, if I have an objective peace, if I have, an object, if I have a good balance with the bank, this can be messed up, I'll be fine. The peace that we're searching for and looking for and longing for here is greatly influenced by the objective peace. Are you at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ? If you have that objective peace, Boy, you can, you can suffer and you can work through all sorts of difficulties. Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? What troubles you today? And I'm going to guess that we run a broad spectrum of different cares and concerns and worries. But listen, Christian, not a one of them is out of God's hands. If he can secure our eternal and cosmic peace with him while we're in flat out rebellion against him, running away from him while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. If he can secure your peace, then I'm certain he'll secure our peace in a thousand other ways. And one of the ways he does this is by grounding us firmly in the peace that is of supreme importance. If the God of the universe has removed his wrath from you through Jesus Christ and is working for your ultimate good, what more could you ask for? As Romans 8, 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
He himself is our peace. What can trouble our hearts ultimately if we have Jesus? What we celebrate and remember at Advent is this. Christ has come and Christ will come again. He himself is our peace. He has secured it with his life and death and resurrection at his first Advent. And at his second Advent, when Christ comes again, he'll bring that peace to full fruition. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this morning the glories of the gospel. Father, help us to hear as your people have needed to hear throughout all of history. The call to turn from sin. The call to turn from idolatries. The call to turn from all that actually sometimes we think will bring us life. But what it really is doing is pushing us farther away from you the one who is the source of life. Father, open our eyes to see the places that we ought to repent, turn from our sin, and, and God grant to us in that moment the joy that is found in the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ. There is no sin so great that Jesus cannot mend it, that Jesus cannot forgive it, and Father, I pray this morning as we get ready for communion, as we come confessing our sins, looking to Christ, that God, you would work in our hearts this incredible peace that is found in Jesus and in him alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.